Welcome to Roadhouse Minute, the podcast where we review the best bad movie of all time, Roadhouse, one minute at a time, and where we always try to be nice until it's time not to be nice. I'm Roger. And I'm Marcy. And I'm very excited about this week, friends. We are joined by a very special guest who is, I'm going to guess, new to podcasting, but not new to Roadhouse. He is Roger Crane. Um, He is... uh, and a Roadhouse aficionado, and more importantly, he's our next-door neighbor. Uh, so, Roger, you want to just introduce yourself real quick? Tell us about yourself. Thank you very much. I uh, actually am old enough to have seen Roadhouse in the movie theater. Ooh, twice. that's fantastic! We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that towards the end of this minute. So that's yes. great. And uh, I've listened to podcasts, but this is my first one in the participation mode. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here and thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. This whole thing started, I mean, at least getting you on the podcast. I feel like this started at our potluck back in June, right? Correct. Um, I think yeah, you might've seen me wearing the same shirt that I'm wearing now, which I wear for good luck when we podcast, yes. um, which Marcy gave me for my birthday. Or Father's Day. They all hit at the same time. Just just because. Yeah. I just just remember you being uh, marveling that I knew the double deuce. And that's what sort of kicked off the conversation. That's right. And then I marveled about the fact that you not only know this movie, but seem to like it almost as much as I do, which is fantastic. Um, Okay. As with every minute, uh, this minute starts with Emmett wondering why Dalton loves his loft so much, and it ends with Tillman turning over the new Double Deuce to the best damn cooler in the business. So let's talk about what we see in this minute. We've got Emmett going at it again with the hay hooks, Marcy. Yeah. (laughs) You were excited about the hay hooks from a couple minutes ago. These are called the... Those things that he uses to move hay, those are called hay hooks. He's not actually a hooked man. That, <laughs> that was my mistake. Whoops. <laughs> so, Roger, since you weren't on with us a couple minutes ago, what's your feelings about Emmett? Uh, Emmett reminds me of a, a genuine smuggler from the early 1900s, a guy <laughs> who would have a still out in his backyard. He looks like that sort of... Uh, character and if uh i don't want to say hobo because that's not quite right but he 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 looks like a country gent and he has some honor and things to him and i i just love the the line about he has to please the presbyterians that's oh yeah i'm gonna ask you for any money yeah absolutely like that the reason why he has to charge rent is otherwise the presbyterians are liable to pray for his ruination um, and we'll talk about the Presbyterians for sure, too. Uh, this this minute has a, a line that I know I use with Marcy all the time. I don't know in what context. It's when when Emmett talks about how the room has no conditioned air, uh, no tolerance for the fragrance of nature. Marcy, I feel like I use that all the time. You do. Well, along with a million other movie quotes. But yeah, <laughs> it's in the rotation. So. I love um, this section because you really get a close-up of Emmett's face, and he just uses his eyes and his eyebrows a lot. It's very entertaining. Yeah, for sure. For there's sure. A, there's a lot of eye action. Once again, we get Dalton being the uh, the master negotiator that he is. He just like agrees to whatever Emmett says just up front. Like he's not even gonna he's not even gonna try to haggle. Yeah, and I think it's also the step back of thinking it. You know. Do you mind if it's $100 a month? Shows you where 
things were versus where things are now. Mm-hmm. And I go, huh. That yeah. Looks- so let's talk about this deal. So, so Emmett's offer, so it's a hundred dollars a month. The inflation calculator tells us that in 2021 terms, that's about $215. We know that Dalton is going to clear $500 a night by working at the double deuce. Well, that's a really good deal uh, in terms of what he's paying on rent. He's doing really well here. You've kind of got two people that don't really care about money right now. Like Emmett doesn't seem like he really needs the rent. You know, he doesn't really care. He's just trying to keep the church people off his back. And Dalton, we've established he doesn't, he's got tons of money. He doesn't seem to do much with it. He's going to be earning money hand over fist. Yeah. Roger, why do you think that Emmett has a fully furnished loft in his barn? (laughs) I wonder who was there before. Well, that's what we were wondering too. So we have some theories. What do you think? I'm back to my bootlegger had to leave in a hurry scenario. Like somebody's got out of town. Oh, so this was his secret partner in crime who then had to split. Yeah, or I mean, it could have been a, a nephew he was trying to help out that just, you know, had some people after him or something to that. Oh, effect. that's a good theory, too. Like that, like that kid on Fargo. We've been debating sort of what kind of farm this is. I like your idea that this is just a fake farm and it's really just a front for moonshine. Yeah, and I don't know... Um, out of your your format whether i can go outside of the minute but remember he asked him if he was going to steal the horses but yeah yeah so tell you what feel free i mean we're not super strict there's some other movies by minute podcasts that are like super orthodox we're not that strict try not to cheat any of the future minutes feel free to talk about anything that's already happened so yeah we've already uh yeah that he he asked him if he was going to steal the horses when they was first i think that was in the last minute that was couple of minutes before that it's such a strange exchange it's like you like horses don't you you wouldn't try to steal them would you i have some information about presbyterians any of you all have any personal experience with people that are presbyterians don't know any of that wear it on their sleeve Uh, my dad so marcy i think my dad was a presbyterian i think he was raised presbyterian so just in case you're wondering this is what it means to be a presbyterian here are some things that i found out about being a presbyterian believe it or not presbyterianism goes back to the church of scotland the name presbyterian comes from it's like the name for whatever their form of church government is i guess a presbyterian form of church government it's got instead of like having like in the catholic church where there's like this college of cardinals they actually like elect this like assembly of elders And apparently that's called a Presbyterian form of church governance. So that's where the word Presbyterian comes from. It says here there's about 75 million Presbyterians in the world. Most of the the biggest concentration of Presbyterians in the United States is actually down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Not so much Missouri, though. Like I looked it up, or uh, sorry, Wikipedia only has 13 Presbyterian churches total in the whole state of Missouri. So I'm not really sure exactly who's breathing down Emmett's neck right now. It doesn't seem like it would be any of the churches anywhere near Jasper, but I don't know. Here's the other fact, and maybe you all have, I don't know if you all have any reaction to this. It says here, this quote, historically, along with Lutherans and Episcopalians, Presbyterians tend to be considerably wealthier and better educated, having more graduate and post degrees per capita than most other religious groups in the United States, and are disproportionately represented in the upper reaches of American business, law, and politics. That I did not know. I didn't know that either. I didn't know that about Lutherans or Episcopalians either. So guess that's are you, the... Are you done saying the word Presbyterian yet? Because that was a lot of Presbyterians in a row. Well, there are a lot of Presbyterians, Marcy, so yeah. I have to. All right. All right. 
I'll cut some of them out. How about Thanks. that? That was a lot. You're welcome. What do we get after that? So we get another one of Emmett's fantastic little witticisms um, when, you know, Dalton says, if it'll keep you in the good graces of the church. And then Emmett says, ain't it peculiar how money seems to do that very thing? It's a great Emmett line. I don't know. What do you all think about that? I mean, I, I think it uh, reflects a little on society. I, I thought it was, you know, whether it's the director or the writer, it, it was telling. As long as you're paying in, you're okay. Yeah, for sure. I also like the fact that it was sort of like, and I, you'll notice this if you watch the movie sort of through the different scenes. It's one of those things where like he says his remark, immediate cut to the next scene. It was almost like a watching a sitcom. It's like, I'm going to say this funny thing. So now we have our transition point. I don't know if you all noticed that too. Okay, so we're back at the double deuce. Uh, there's one car parked out front. Um, anybody have any thoughts about whose car that is? Oh, it's just right in the front of the thing. It's not a nice car. I looked it up. There's something called the Internet Car Movie Database. It's a 1979 Datsun 310. This is not a classy car. I used to think, I mean, I don't know if it's like Tillman's car, but I sort of feel like Tillman would drive better wheels than that. Yeah, it's kind of just a weird shot. It just makes the double deuce look really dumpy and, and vacant, like it's after hours or something like that. So it's probably just to tell us that, you know, we're at a time when there's no patrons there. So that's a good point. I always used to think that this scene that we're about to watch and talk about for the remainder of our week is like a, it's like a after closing time. But I'm actually, I think based on reading the script, that this is like a before opening scene. Really? Maybe. I don't know. Am I wrong? I don't know. What do you I, think? I, I think it's, I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's before opening Although it's like six thirty dark, seven thirty dark. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. I mean, what things happening? What time do we think that the double deuce typically opens on a on a night? Maybe eight o'clock. I was thinking it was more New York City club thing, ten eleven. Oh, and maybe it's after the shift at four thirty in the morning. You know, that's that that's. It looks like it should be more destroyed from all the things that happen. Oh. Well, 1030 makes more sense to me because, as you can see, it's pitch black. Yeah, but Roger's got a good point because the chairs are all nicely put together in the scene, and they all kind of have, like, a little ashtray and stuff. Yeah, um, if, the, if this were a post... It would have been an apocalypse th There'd there. be lots of eyeballs to sweep up off the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I don't like thinking about the double deuces being like a New York City nightclub is hilarious to me. And like, I like, I think some of those people are just like such heavy drinkers that they're going to get going a little bit earlier. And this is definitely set in the summertime. So we're, we're not talking about like daylight going away at, you know, 630, you know, in the afternoon or something like that. So how do we know that this is, how do we know this is definitely set up? Uh, set in the summertime well because we were just on emmett's farm oh. and there's green leaves <laughs> so that's a really good point see marcy yeah. that's 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 why we make sure to have you on the podcast yeah. you're not only our fashion consultant you're our horticultural consultant yeah so i think if roger's right that opening is like at 10 10 30 then the, this is definitely set right before they open much like Jack Wade's band. Yeah. Did you know yeah. that the club at the beginning of this movie where Dalton gets hired away from is in New York City, Roger? Oh, I did not know that. According to according to the script, it's supposed to be in New York. Where did you think it was, Roger? Because that is, it seems like so out of place based on everything that you see. It's not in New I, I York didn't, City. I didn't go as far as a city 
I, I was thinking with Missouri more Chicago, somewhere, you know, St. Louis, may, like in the Midwest of things, yeah. was where I was thinking, you know, he took a ride down, he drove there and, and things like that. I would have put it somewhere in that vicinity. Oh, that, that would make sense. And I think we, we had a couple of different ideas. Uh, there's just, I mean, there's a couple of clues in the script and we don't have to go back so far into that minute because we covered it there. But I mean, his, his license plate is a New York license plate and apparently the radio station that he's listening to is a New York radio station, but I don't know, could be anywhere. But you know, when a guy drew up uh, the new double deuce and had it all on the, the blueprints of things, it you know was a goal to make it a a destination place where, you know, we're going to get rid of all the power drinkers and all the other things that are coming up in the next minute, I think. But, you know, that was the goal. So I think of it more of a club. It's funny mm -hmm. uh, in that part, I think he says something about Dalton's in charge of all of the bar business. And I never saw a, a plate. I never saw anybody eat any food. And, and I'm oh, like, yeah. There's only the bar business. No, that's yeah. a good point. You're he's right. in charge of everything is what you just told us. All they seem to do, well, he's, so I guess he's in charge of, he's, he's, he's the lead bouncer, seems to be in, able to hire and fire whoever he wants. He seems to be in charge of coordinating the liquor. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure those are his responsibilities. Brought, it, brought his friend in in the band. That's right. right. Well, I think Cody's already there, though, don't you think? Was he there? I have to think back on it, but you know, they, they have a relationship. Yes. And uh that is true. That yeah. is true. So I can't let this minute go by without just pointing out, Marcy, that we get another very high ranking on the creepiness scale, creepy smile from Frank Tillman. Oh, really? He is he is mugging for the camera when he shows you, like oh. if you if you scrub ahead to second 44 yeah. when he's showing off his blueprints, like that is some that is some creepy Frank Tillman. Yeah. The man just can't help it. I mean, like the look on his face, it's just a lot. He's excited. I mean, I think he finally feels like now, you know, this is the new double deuce. It's all coming together for him. His huge investment. Things are going to And get. now he's got the man, the cooler, the legend. The, the best Dalton. damn cooler in the business. Yeah. And what, what makes you think, if you took a step back yourself, that this is the thing you would want to dump money into? <laughs> We've, I, I we've, looked at him in that part and was like, why? <laughs> yeah, isn't it, isn't it? I mean, I don't have this fact. I should have it at my fingertips. Isn't there something like 80% of all restaurants fail? And this isn't a restaurant, but it's the same oh. basic industry. If you think of all the, the scenes they set up before in the movie on how toxic a place it was and you know, <laughs> the brawls, the... The, the drugs, the this, the that, and everything. I think our, our working theory, our, our working theory. Like six figures worth of money into this. I think yeah. our working theory is that it's the only club in Jasper. So if he's going to become a club owner, this is his only option. Can we ask Roger before you go on? Absolutely. Like, Roger, where do you think Tillman got this money to invest into this dump? Sorry, this Whoa. dump. <laughs> this dump. I, oh, wow. I might have to use my first uh, Dalton sounder there. That's okay. We'll edit that out. You know, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I picture, you know, worked to Chicago mercantile, retired back to the country, you know, sort of the gentleman farmers that we may have up here in the Northwest mm. corner of Connecticut, where, you know, 
he he good boy done good came back home gonna try and make it that's a good theory that's a good marcy seems to think he wanted playing uh baccarat in vegas <laughs> um i think that he was the owner of the boat dealership across the way in the parking lot whatever whatever's the case he's come into a little money he's decided to make a better life for himself here uh, with but the again, like, but, but like you were saying he's the only bar in town so you don't need to dump in money if nobody there's nowhere else to go why yeah you... yeah but i mean he's probably spending half of his profits at this point just on fixing broken furniture so I think he, and he's looking for a higher class of patron. I mean, no offense to those fine motorcyclists that we saw a couple minutes ago. They're not going to be spending the kind of money that he was able to see when he went up to recruit Dalton. He's, he's looking for the kind of people who come in in like suits and nice dresses that we're going to see not too long from now. Oh yeah. We get a whole velvet rope and everything going. <laughs> for sure. Uh, one of the things, Roger, that we like to do every episode, if it's interesting, is to talk about the script. I have a copy of the shooting script of the movie Roadhouse, and we like to just talk about if there's anything that different is that's different. And there is actually something that's pretty significantly different here. In this part of the movie, there's a scene that was filmed and entirely cut out. So I don't want to not to get too far ahead of ourselves. We know that Pat, the bartender, is going to get fired. He's mm -hmm. going to get replaced with Keith David, who plays the character Ernie Bass, the uh, African-American bartender. And I'm only bringing that up because there was a whole subplot revolving around Ernie Bass. Are, are you aware of this? I am not. Okay, so in the shooting script, and they actually went to the point of shooting this, and then they eventually had to cut it out of the movie because the, the rough cut of this movie apparently was something like three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then they they had to they had to trim a little bit to get it down to the slim 114 minutes that we're at. So Ernie Bass um, and his girlfriend um, come into the bar during the time like before it actually gets cleaned up when it's still got this rough and tumble crowd. And there are, let's say, some rednecks there who really give he and his girlfriend uh, a hard time. Um, and there's definitely you know, there's there's some significant racism there and it's dalton who kind of steps in protects the two of them and then actually ends up hiring both of them so that's how that's how ernie becomes the bartender at the double deuce and his girlfriend gets hired on as a waitress and I'm, they I'm laughing because that makes sense because I always wondered how the hell Ernie just showed up in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But they cut all that out of the movie, which, which is a shame because Keith David, I mean, we're going to talk about Keith David when we actually get to him because we're not going to see him for like another 40 minutes. Um, he's a great actor and mm -hmm. he's criminally under featured in the minutes that he had. He has like one scene in the whole movie now. Any thoughts about that? I, like I said, it makes more sense than the actual end movie because what I was looking at was like, how does this guy just show up, appear out of nowhere and you know, take over and now you're cutting people off and you're, you're, you're the gruff authoritarian figure in this crazy hillbilly bar and nobody challenged him nobody it was just bizarre to me would we have liked this movie better with the subplot left in yeah well like better is a tough one makes more sense to me mm -hmm. and it adds another layer to dalton 
is what I would say. Yeah, a little yeah. background here and there is not, we don't get a lot of that. Like we have so many questions about all these characters because they really don't give us any information about who they are, where they've been. I mean, it would be nice to see that Dalton is someone who is willing to kind of stand up for people that might have a hard time defending themselves against a big crowd of people and seemingly do what's right. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, if I needed to cut, if I needed to cut an hour and a half out of my movie, probably, I probably could have cut that. You can, you can make your own bridge The you know, Dalton is the defender of the little people in general throughout the movie that, Oh, Ernie's just here. Well, of course he is. Dalton's here. Who's going to bother Ernie? Cause sure. Dalton's over there in the corner and nobody wants to bother with him. Mm. I've got another scene that uh, also I think was filmed. It definitely didn't make it into the movie. And I, I have some strong feelings about this, but I want to hear how you feel about this first. There was a scene in the script uh, where uh, I guess after the first night, so like the previous night, Dalton uh, gives Carrie Ann a ride home and she like makes a hard pass at him basically tries to get him to, you know, come up for the night. And he just kind of flatly refuses. How do we feel about that scene? That would be before the scene that we just saw, like his first night on the job. Well, it depends on what you consider his first night on the job. I mean, you know, there was that night where he was just kind of standing there observing everything. This would be after that first night, but before this, before this night where he really is kind of taken over. Well, I feel like, it's good not to have that one in there because then um, it would make that donut scene that comes up just a little bit more strange. Like she's already been rejected and she's coming after him like a stalker at that point with a donut. So I didn't realize that, you know, again, not having access to the whole script. I, I do remember further on, there is a, a past moment interaction between them. Yeah, sort of. I mean, she comes to his barn loft uh-huh. Sees, sees him getting yeah, dressed donuts, and, and gives him a donut and coffee. Yeah, we I we have strong feelings about Carrie Ann. How do you, what do you think about the character of Carrie Ann? Um, you know, I just picture her as a, a country gal who, sadly, the best aspirations of any you know any mentor told her was to be a waitress. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. You're very kind. I find her to be. Incredibly annoying. Maybe how, how come? May I ask? The way she talks to Dalton, the the way that she te- seems to take unbridled joy anytime a fist fight breaks out, the incredibly cringeworthy singing scene that we're gonna get to in a little <laughs> while. Like there are many. I have many reasons. No, that's fair enough. I've, I've I've watched it. I don't know that I've broken it down as far as you two have. So. <laughs> no. Well. One would not. <laughs> Roger, Roger, nobody has. Nobody's that crazy. You're only going to get a chance to experience a week's worth of this uh, craziness. <laughs> I hope I like this movie at the end of all this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I do, too. You know, there are some of these podcasts where the people say, like, after they finish, they just, like, you just can't, not that you can't enjoy the movie, but you can never watch it the same way again. I understand that. I don't know that that'll be the case. And I don't think exposing you to three minutes of this treatment is going to permanently spoil the movie for you. At least I hope that it doesn't. I would never have invited you here in the first place if I thought that would be a risk we were running. Oh, no. I think it's... um, I had a friend of mine, I was asking them about a basketball game, and she said, well, I don't watch basketball because 
I just can't sound, I can't stand the sound of the squeaky sneakers. <laughs> and huh? I had never heard the sound before. Yeah. And I, now I cannot not hear it. Oh no. It's one of those like, oh, oh yeah, oh. oh. And, and now I just wonder whether I'll go deep diving into, you know, the the cinematography of Roadhouse rather yeah. than just enjoying the six rotten tomatoes or whatever the best score could be. So Roger, the next thing we're gonna do, this is something we do for every minute, is that we we rate it according to Dalton's three rules. Do you, I don't want to put you on the spot. Do you, can you remember any of Dalton's three rules? Never expect the unexpected. I think it's always expect always. the unexpected. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess if you say it that way. Never, never <laughs> underestimate your opponent. Yes. Expect the unexpected. That's great. That's yeah. rule number one. So let's just talk in this minute. Is there anything that we saw in this minute where people either did a good job of expecting the unexpected or didn't do a good job of expecting the unexpected? We are we are past the firings at this point, correct? Oh, no, no. We, well, we oh, haven't gotten to those yet. That yeah, that's next minute. Um, in the first minute? Like I noticed, for example, that Emmett seemed a little surprised that Dalton just accepted his first offer on face value. Yeah, I guess so. Well, there's be, you know? nice. be nice carries the day for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, that's rule three. Before we get to that one, so rule number two, take it outside never right. start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary this is a mostly outside minute so good job by us but then we're going to go inside the bar um so i guess it's sort of about half and half what about rule three so rule three is be nice what do we think about the people in this minute were we nice were the people yeah, in this minute nice changes is very nice and cordial and respectful of each other what do you think I, marcy yeah for sure yeah until men is starting out being nice with his plans. Yeah, that's right. right? So oh, we yeah. don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. Maybe things aren't going to be so nice in the next minute, yeah. but we're going to get to that. Last thing, uh, because we have you on as our guest, uh, we're going to do sort of a, a slightly different thing with you each episode. And on our Monday episodes, what we like to do is to ask our guests what their first experience was with Roadhouse. And you told us at the beginning that you saw it in the theater, which is so great because neither of us got a chance to do that. Can you take us back and tell us what it was like when you saw Roadhouse for the first time in the theater? We, there was, it was in Torrington, 45 minutes from, from where we are now. Probably six of us hopped in a car that should have had five in it. Everyone threw two bucks towards gas to get there and back. It was, it was interesting because if I, gosh, if I think about it correctly, it's Patrick Swayze post Dirty Dancing. Right after Dirty Dancing. So this is literally the next movie he did. Coming sort of back to, no, I can be a tough guy. Because everybody, we were probably 20, 18, 20, somewhere in that range. We're looking at him from, from the Dirty Dancing thing and going, who is this guy? Because if you think before that, it was Wolverines. Yeah, really uh, fought the Russians. Red Dawn, they, right? Yeah, Red Dawn. Yeah, they were the Wolverines and Red Dawn. And they were, you know, around the age we were in high school. Hmm. So it was sort of committed there. Same with The Outsiders when he was in that. We were just very excited to see, you know, Patrick Swayze's going to whoop some people. <laughs> and what did you feel when you, after the credits started rolling and you walked out of the theater? How, was, how did you feel your Roadhouse experience had gone? Oh, I, I, like I said, we, we saw it twice. So we were very happy with it. And... We were also under age at that point. So 
between the Blues Brothers and Roadhouse and a few other, the uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, Nick Nolte. 48 Hours. 48 Hours. Okay, every bar had a brawl in it. <laughs> as we looked out as oh. 17, 18 years. So he fit the mode of what things were then. So this is giving you something to for you to aspire to in two or three that, years. That to... We looked at like, oh, he's in a real bar because there's bar fights all the time and everything we had seen up until that point. You know, there was nobody sipping Cabernets. <laughs> <laughs> that just wasn't happening. So he's coming back to make his macho movie. And, you know, of course, his big hook is, is his, his past where, you know, he's killed somebody and you're not fully sure at that point why, how, and everything else. And I don't want to go too far because I know you have other minutes, but, you know, it was it was dramatic, the, the final blow. And I remember an entire movie theater screaming in applause. Oh, that's oh, fantastic. Awesome. Oh, if I could have been there, oh, that would have been it so was, great. It was something else. That's fantastic. That was great. What do you think? You think you'd be willing to come back for the next episode? Yeah, I'd love to. This has awesome. been uh, enjoyable. Fantastic. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Roadhouse Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Come and join us on Facebook at The New Double Deuce. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at, at @rhminute, and you can email us at daltonsaysbenice at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, be nice. Bye now. Bye.